Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Word of God today. Come on, I'm ready to preach. We are in part three of a series we are calling, say it with your chest, I will get, one more time, I will get through this. We've been trying to encourage individuals who might be going through this, and we all have a this. Your this might be different than my this, but our this isn't the same in the fact that we have a this. It could be a relationship. It could be a financial issue. It could be being a parent. It could be being a child. It could be being a father, being a mother, whatever it is, uh, being a husband, being a wife, being single, whatever it is, engaged, being sick, uh, whatever your this is, we all have this. And we're encouraging you by going and studying through the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is a heavy book. It's got a lot of facts in it. Some of the stuff can be a little bit confusing, but the gist of Daniel is, is a, is a lesson on how to get through this because Daniel and his friends get, essentially get kidnapped from their home and then they get forced to live in another country. And they spend their whole lives in that country, but they never abandon God. And in fact, they're blessed. And so you don't have to just go through this. Hear me, you can thrive through this. You can grow through this. You can be blessed through this. This does not have to kill you. This does not have to destroy your life. This does not have have to end you. You can keep going through this. So we're going to continue studying. And today I'm excited because today we're going to talk about the end times. And because if you, if you study the book of Daniel, you can't avoid this topic. If you look at the book of Daniel, there are 12 books. Somebody say 12. 12. Today is a lot of teaching. So I'm going to have you repeat stuff just to make sure you're still awake. Okay. It's going to be one of those sermons. It's going to feel a lot like school, but it's going to be helpful. We got 12 chapters. If you look at the first six chapters of Daniel, you're going to see what's happening. That's written in the first person, and it's written more like past and present. If you look at chapters 7 through 12, you read what's going to happen. This is the future. This is also known at the end times. Now, here's the question. Why would a book whose thesis is to help you get through this spend half of its letters, half of its words, half of its pages on the future if I'm going through this right now? Why would it spend half on the end if I can't even think about the end because I'm still going through this? Are you ready? Because sometimes the best way to get through this is to know that this will end. That's a word. That's a word. I'm going to share. That's the title of today's message. This will end. <laughs> they got a little ahead of me on the, on the slides there, but this will end. This will end. Somebody say this will and I was reminded of that on my way back from the Dominican Republic. I shared a story last week about going to Dominican Republic and the whole shishkamabab that happened. Translate that translation team. And uh, I want to share a story about what happened on the way back. And you know, it's the same airline. And I don't want to bash this airline, because I know there are people here who work at this airline. So I'm not trying to get you fired. I'm not trying to shut your operation down. So without naming that airline, I just want to say every time, shut I say it? Every time I get on that airline, I end up praying to the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, 
Oh my God, I didn't name nobody. I didn't name nobody. I didn't point no finger to nothing. I just saying, I get a little closer to the God. I feel his spirit. Whenever I, I ride this airline and as I was in DR waiting to come back, I saw a group huddle around the gate and this group was starting to get handed papers. These papers were vouchers, never a good sign. I said, sir, what's happening? He said, these people's flights just got canceled. My flight was the next flight. So I was like, um, and those vouchers were for hotels. They were going to stay another night in DR. And I'm sure they didn't have hotels. But like, I don't know where they're paying them to sleep at, but I can promise you it wasn't where they came from. So I'm like, sir, I really need to get home. I got babysitters and kids and, and, and like my situation is different than any of those other people, right, before me. Why do we always argue with the person like we're different? He got kids, she got kids, we all got kids, bro, okay? So I'm like, I'm like, sir, I just need to know, is my plane coming in? He looked at me in the eye, man, I don't know what it was. He said it with conviction. He said it with power. He said it with anointing. He said, your plane will come. He said, I can't tell you when. He said, but your plane will come. I said, I said that's, that's cool. Will it come today, sir? <laughs> will it come today? He said, your plane will come today. I said, wow. I, I don't know what it was. He, I, he said it with authority. I believed him. So my departure time comes and my departure time goes. 30 minutes delayed. No problem. He said it will come. <laughs> Hour goes by. No problem, babe. Babe, hold on. Don't freak out. So we start looking. No, no. It will come. <laughs> Two hours pass by. Plane still hasn't gotten here. Should we start looking for hotels? Liz, we, it will come. The man said it. He had a beautiful eye. When he said it, I believed him. <laughs> it will come. Three hours later, the plane finally comes. Praise the Lord. We, we get on that plane. To be honest, I wouldn't even mad. I was just glad that it had came. And while everybody around me was freaking out for those three hours, I was chill. I was calm. Because for whatever reason, I believed the word of the person in authority. I've come to tell you today that when you know how it ends, it changes the way you endure. What if the secret to enduring is knowing that it ends? And not just that it ends, but how it ends. I'm not one of those people that if you ruin the game for me that I have recorded on DVR, I won't watch it. If I know, if my team lost, I won't watch it. If they won, I will play that on DVR, especially when the game gets tight. Because when the rest of the crowd is freaking out, I'm enjoying it. Because I know in advance how this game ends. I don't care how many points the other team scores. I don't care how many fumbles, how many hits, how many interceptions. I know how this ends. Today's message is to encourage anyone who is wondering... I need you to put yourself in this situation now if your plane is ever coming. For anyone who is stuck in the concourse of grief and sadness. For anyone who is somewhere in life you thought you would have departed by now. And you are still there. You weren't planning to buy a house in the DR. But you're there a little longer than you expected 
to be. Here's the main idea in Daniel 7, 12 is this will end. I'm trying to tell you, your sorrow is just a season. Your pain is just a period. This will not last forever. Tell your neighbor, this will end. Praise the Lord. Now, in order to be encouraged, you need to know how this ends, not just that it will end. And not just how your story ends, but how the creation story ends as well. And that is what we call in the church eschatology. And the moment I said that, your eyes already started rolling back. And I'm just going to do a little teaching today. Is that okay? Eschatology really just means the study of the end. People are already on their phones. The study of the end times. Now, there are a lot of vast interpretations of what the end times are going to look like, depending on what Christian tradition you hail from. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to try to avoid all of the details that Christians spend hours arguing about that honestly don't even really matter. And instead, I'm going to pull the four truths about the end, not only that matter, but listen, that can change your, not just tomorrow, your today, your right now. Disclaimer, today is going to feel like a history class. Today is going to feel like a Bible class. Today is going to feel like a math class. Okay? But if you lean in, I promise you will never read the Bible the same again. You will never see God the same way again. And you will not leave here the same way again. I promise. I promise. If you lean in. So if you've never taken notes before ever in church, this is the Sunday. Or you could rewatch it on YouTube, but don't be lazy. <laughs> Four truths that we get from the end times. Here's truth number one. I know it might sound silly to you, but I think it's worth saying. Point number one, God is real. Exclamation point. God is real. How do I know God is real? When you open up to the book of Daniel, the first thing that you're going to read about in chapter 7 through 12 is this vision. And Daniel has this vision of these four beasts. And if all you're doing is reading Daniel 7 through 12, you'll be confused. You'll be like, what do beasts and animals have to do with the end times? But you've got to look at the first six chapters and put it in the context of the last six chapters. And when you do that, you realize that there was also a beast in chapters 4 and 5. And the beast was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a king who actually had a mental breakdown and started acting like an animal. And so when we read chapters 7 through 12, we read that the, and we, what we understand is that 7 through 12 is not really the story of a beast, listen, but of humans who act like beasts. Because the first point that you got to get within this point, and it's not really what I want to preach, preach, but you need to know it, is that humans without God act like animals. Is that okay to say? I didn't offend anybody. If I offended you, I would just ask you to recall 2020. When we were shanking people over toilet paper, there was a sign in my local Walmart. It said one box of toilet paper per customer. I thought, what kind of monster is out here snatching up boxes of toilet paper like it's, like it's, like it's water? What is happening here? Do I have to remind you what happens every Black Friday? When people get trampled on the ground over a not even good flat screen TV? The sale is like 10% off and we pretend like it's the keys to eternity. Killing people, stomping on people, pushing people, pregnant people. It don't matter. I'm going to get my $10 off. 
I'm just saying a lot of people blame God for the condition that the world is in. But without God, we have no morality. Without God, we have no connectivity. God is not the one tearing the world apart. He's the one holding it together while we tear it apart. He's holding it together. If not for the Lord, if not for the Ten Commandments, good God, this world will fall apart. But on a more practical level, what's actually happening is Daniel is predicting the next four, not just four beasts, but the next four government leaders, four kingdoms of the world. I know this because it says this straight up in verse 14. He explained it to me like this, the angel who interpreted the dream. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. So he's saying we got four beasts, but they're not really beasts. Don't put that on the screen yet. You missed my point. <laughs> four beasts, four animals, okay? And these animals represent governments. Now, why is that significant? Because Daniel prophesied this in 553 BC, I believe. Yes. In 553 BC, you can take off the yellow because you're spoiling it. Spoiler alert. Uh, in 553 BC, he predicted that Babylon would be the empire. And after Babylon, Persia would come. And after Persia, Greece would come. And after Greece, at the peak of it, it would be divided into four nations. Now, that is so ridiculous because at the time, Persia wasn't really nobody. Greece was just a collection of city-states. They weren't really all that important either. And then why, if they're so important, would they get divided into four? Well, like the spoiler alert showed you, just like he said it, it actually happened. Go ahead, put the years on the screen. It actually happened in 539 BC, Babylon falls to the Medo Persian government. In 333 BC, Persia is defeated by Alexander the Great. If you've seen the movie 300, you've seen it. <clears throat> this is what happens. But at the peak of, of Grecian civilization, when they are ruling the entire world, Alexander the, Greece, Alexander the Great, who's also a Greek, I guess Alexander the Greek is correct too, he mysteriously dies and his big empire is divided into four kingdoms. Now listen. This actually happened, but he said it would happen almost 300 years before it happened. God is real. To give you some context, this would be like me predicting to you who the next 75 presidents of the United States would be by name. And he did it. Now, I didn't come here to give you a history lesson. I came to use this history lesson to make a point, and this is my point. If God said it and did it, then what does that mean about everything that he has said that he has not done yet? Come on, somebody. If he said it in Daniel and it happened, then that means everything he wrote in Psalms will happen. Everything he wrote in Matthew will happen. Everything he wrote in Mark will happen. Everything he wrote in John will happen. Everything he wrote in Jeremiah will happen. I'm trying to tell you that if you've got a promise for, of God over your life and it has not happened yet, hold on. Because what God says will happen, will happen. If you got a dream that you have not realized yet, don't give up because you haven't realized it yet. Did God give you that dream? If so, then remember Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do all more than we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. When it feels like your life is not going according to plan, don't freak out. Don't panic. Just remember that when your life doesn't go according to your plan, he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, it's cool. I got a plan. I've got a plan not to harm you and to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. I'm just saying, if this is real, God is real. And if God is real, woo, what does that mean about the rest of the book? It means good things. I remember arguing with my Old Testament professor, because I was like, because he was an atheist. I went to a secular college to study Bible. 
I was like, I think I went as far as my Sunday school teachers can take me. I'm ready for you. What you got? I was like, Daniel, boom. Isn't that cool? I'm looking at my atheist professor. I'm like, that's God's real. You know God's real. He said, that doesn't prove God's real. I said, how come? He said, because then you didn't tell the future. I said, well, what scientific evidence do you have to prove that he did not tell the future? He goes, none. I said, how can you say it with such confidence? He goes, because I do have scientific evidence. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's impossible to tell the future. You see the Jedi mind trick? He tried to pull, he said, because it's impossible to tell the future, this is what actually happened. He wrote it after it happened. I said, well, what scientific evidence do you have for that? He said, none. I said, he said, the scientific evidence I have is to tell him the future is impossible. And I, and I was dumbstruck for a second because I said, okay, so the same guy that's been getting on me all semester because I believe something about God that does not have scientific evidence is believing something about God without scientific evidence. That's when I learned. It's not that the Christian has faith and the atheist doesn't. We both have faith. We just have faith in different things. You know, it takes just as much faith to believe that God exists than it does to believe that he doesn't. In fact, even more. Because I'll argue with you, I'll be like, I'll be like, who was in the beginning? I'll be like, God. I don't know about you. That's easier to believe than what happened in the beginning. Well, there was a germ and the germ became a lightning bolt and the lightning bolt. Okay, here's how you get them. And what happened before the lightning bolt? And what happened before that? 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 At some point they go, I don't know. That takes a lot of faith. To believe something you don't know. So here's the deal. You don't get to leave church today without making a faith decision. You got to make one. You don't have an option. The question is, where will you place your faith? And who will you put your faith in? You wanna put, if you don't want to put your faith in God, cool. But if you don't put your faith in God, good luck trying to navigate the difficult seasons of life. If you don't want to put your faith in God, good luck trying to figure out morality. When in this country, what's right and wrong changes with every political president and with every Supreme Court uh, uh, appointee. Good luck trying to figure out morality. Good, good luck trying to have hope after death. But if you do believe in God, boy, you got good news in this book for you. Good news. Though you wouldn't know it by my second point. I gave you three of the beasts. It was Babylon, Persia, and Greece. But the fourth beast is actually unnamed. The fourth beast is a little different than the third. It doesn't look like the other ones. Here's what we know because of that fourth beast. Here's the second truth. We will face trials. Blank. The blank is from my next point, but we're going to keep it just blank for now. We will face trials. Here's what we know about the fourth beast, even though we don't know a lot. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, he will speak against the most high and press his holy people. Daniel 8, 24, he will cause astounding devastation and succeed in whatever he does. Now, depending on whether you're talking to a historian or a theologian, an atheist or a Christian, there are a lot of interpretations to who or what this fourth beast is. Some people believe that his name was Antiochus, that he lived in 160 BC. He desecrated the Jewish temple and that was it. That was him. That was the fourth beast. Other people believe 
Christians, some Christians believe that it was actually the Roman Emperor Nero. If you ever heard stories about the Roman Empire feeding Christians to the lions, this happened during his reign in 70 AD after Nero died. The Jewish tabernacle was actually, was actually destroyed. The Solomon's tabernacle was actually uh, destroyed. And, and still some Christians believe that actually this person hasn't even come yet, that he's going to come and he's going to come as a figure known as the Antichrist. And it's going to be the most evil leader the world has ever seen. We don't know when, but we know he's coming. Now, when you look at Daniel's prophecy, which one is it? Well, the truth is, and I have no problem admitting this to you, that the prophecy aligns with each of them in one way, but none of them in a perfect way. And I think it's because they're all true. Because Daniel is not trying to predict a person. Daniel is trying to predict a pattern. That in this world, evil will rise. Whether it's Antiochus, whether it's Nero, whether it's Hitler, whether it's Stalin, whether it's Bin Laden, whether it's Hussein, whatever it is, evil will rise, trouble will happen, trial will happen. And why would God want to tell us that? I'll tell you why, so that you can be prepared. More importantly, so that you don't panic. You don't panic. I was at the nurses getting blood the other day. You know what she told me? She said, you're going to feel a pinch. Don't panic. It's normal. Now, I know that because this is the 100th time I've given blood. But I'm glad she told me that the very first time. Could you imagine not getting that heads up? Sit down. Everything's going to be fine. Look that way. <laughs> without, without the heads up. Huh? Running out there, she tried to kill me. I got an MRI. It was from my back. When I, when I went to get the MRI, the, the dude said, you're going to hear a loud noise. Don't panic. That's normal. I went in there. Anybody ever got an MRI? Thank God she told me. I thought that machine was collapsing in on me. Although I'm claustrophobic, so it was in many ways, collapsing in on me. If I would have taken the nail, the, 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 the needle out of my arm, if I had rushed out of the MRI machine, my panic would have caused me to punctuate my process. And what the doctor was trying to do in my life to get me better, I would have cut it short because I didn't know that pain, discomfort, trial was actually a part of the remedy. Am I preaching today? Are you getting this? Because if you panic, you'll do, you'll do bad things. I was going to say stupid things, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You'll do some, some dumb things. Listen, can I, let me make it more real. When people betray you, don't panic. That's normal. But what if they're Christian and they betray you? They're still people. So that's normal. Don't panic. Don't close the Bible. Leave church. And decide to never serve God again because someone lied to you in church. That's normal. Don't panic. Hey, when work gets overwhelming, you don't have the hardest job in the world. I hate to break it to you. We all have hard jobs. That's normal. Don't quit your job, shave your head, become Buddhist, and move to a monk, a monastery, somewhere in Nepal. Don't panic. Being overwhelmed at work, I hate to tell you, it's, it's normal. 
It's gonna have those days. Hey, when you get when you experience a breakup, journey youth, that's normal. Breakups are God's way from keeping you from making mistakes. <laughs> now, now here, now here's what you don't do. You don't panic and say, I forget men. Forget men everywhere. Forget women everywhere. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to. Listen, if you grew up in a home where the mother and father divorced, that's over 50% of America. Trial happens. I hate to say that from the pulpit, but don't panic. Don't. That unfortunately, that's normal. So you don't go, well, I'm never getting married when I get older. That's, that's normal. It's a part of, 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 of life. It's a part of growing up. It's a part of maturing. But don't panic. Don't panic because you'll do something. Right. I, I, like, I like, matter of fact, I like that he told me it was coming because that tells me what to do. What do I do? Don't panic. Buckle up. I like the pilot in the airplane right before the plane hits turbulence. He sees it miles away. He got radars. He goes, uh, we're so-and-so thousands of feet in the air. I'm going to ask everybody to buckle their seats. Uh, we're heading into some choppy winds. It's going to get a little bumpy here. We're going to turn on the fastener seatbelt light. We'll get right through this in a jiffy. Still on time. I'm just like, thank you for the heads up. And when the plane starts to rock, I'm not freaking out. Because he told me it was going to happen. He prepared me for this. If you panic, you'll be like this guy who ended up in the news. Man tries to open plane door in midair after suffering a panic attack is stopped by fellow passengers. This is not a made up story. This is December 3rd, 2019. This really happened. How dumb. I'm not coming for people who suffer from panic. That happens to me from time to time. I get it, the anxiety, all that. But what in the world, as scary as it was, made you think that it was safer out there? Than it is in here. I don't know what's about to happen, but my best chance of getting through this is not abandoning the plane. <laughs> it's buckling up. Hey, I know the world is a scary place right now. I know our culture is divided. I know that diseases, and we're on like the 19th variant of this thing right now. And the moment we get over that, there's going to be a giraffe pox. There's going to be an ostrich pox. All the poxes are coming out. I, I get it. I get, I get that we're on the brink of a nuclear war in Europe. I get it, but I wanted to tell you today, church, don't run for the exits. Buckle up, because I promise you, it is safer in here. It is safer with Jesus. It is safer with my Bible. It is safer in his promises. It is safer serving God than it is out there. At least this way, I got a hope. At least this way, I got a promise. At least this way. Let me give it the other half. We will face trials and God will save us. That's the other thing we know about the end times. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. 
he will be destroyed. God will save us. Remember I told you that you can't understand the, the last six unless you look at the first six? Look at it again. Last six, first six. Four and five were the beasts. But do you remember chapters one, two, three, and six? What is the thread through each of them? In chapter one, if you, don't refuse, if you refuse to eat this food, you're going to be excommunicated. You're going to die. They trust in God. God gets them through the trial. Look at chapter two. Tell me the dream or die. They fast. God tells them the dream. They make it through the trial. Chapter three, the men in the fire. If you don't bow to Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to die. They don't bow to Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus joins them in the fire and they are rescued from their trial. Chapter six, Daniel and the lion's den. They get thrown into the lion's den, thrown in the trial, and they still survive. Chapters one through three and six is trying to help you interpret chapter seven through 12, that it will get scary and it will get worse, but God will save you in it. Isn't that good? Now, somebody say when. Because <laughs> some of y'all are like, it's getting hot in here. I'm not just talking about the air conditioning in Journey Church today. I'm talking about my life is getting hot in here. What's going on? Daniel had the same question. Ready for some math? Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 through 26. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven. I'm going to explain it in a second. Somewhere I like just 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. From the time rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, the anointed one comes. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one... He's going to save us, but his saving is going to look different than normal saving. We'll be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Sound familiar? 444 BC was when the command to rebuild Jerusalem came. Now, now hold it right there because it was destroyed. 444 BC, the command came to rebuild. Now, Daniel said 62 sevens plus seven sets of sevens. That's 69 sevens. The seven is actually a set of seven years. So you take 62 and you multiply it, 69, because you got 62 plus seven, you got nine. Just keep up with me. 69 times seven years. That comes out to 483 or something like that. But you can't just multiply a year by 365 days because the Jewish year is actually 360 days, not 375. I promise this is going to blow your mind in about 25 seconds. So 360 days times 69 takes us to 476 years and 21 days. If you take 476 years and 21 days and you add it to 444 BC, the year that you get is 33 AD. If your jaw is not on the ground right now, it's because you don't know what happened in 33 AD. 33 AD was the year that Jesus Christ died on the cross at the age of 33. We're so sure of that date, so sure of that date that we measure time by it. BC, AD. So God in the book of Daniel predicted the date that Jesus would die. 600 years before it happened, which means that salvation isn't just coming, it's already come through Jesus Christ. How? How did Jesus save me? I'm still going through difficulty. I'm still going through hardship because he didn't save you in the way that you think he saved you. You're always expecting Jesus to save you from trial. You're always expecting Jesus to save you from heartache. But there's another kind of saving. Give me my props real quick. Where's my props at? Give me some props. Listen, what does an umbrella, a flashlight, and a tie pen have in common? Besides that they all came from my garage. I'll tell you what they have in common. They don't save you from they save you in. 
when I open up this umbrella, it doesn't stop raining in Florida. Are you with me? I'm not saved from the rain, but now I have something that saves me when it rains. God. The flashlight doesn't save you from darkness, but if you're ever in darkness, you got something that'll save you in darkness. The tide pen doesn't keep you from getting stained, but if you get stained, you got something that can erase the stain. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus didn't come to save you from heartache. He came to be a shelter in heartbreak. That when things happen in your life and it feels like it's raining all around you, you got a peace that you can live your life under. That when you are lost, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I got the word of God. I got the Bible. I got sermons. I got worship. I know exactly where to go. And when you feel like a mistake has marked your life for the rest of your life, you serve a God whose blood is so powerful that every infidelity, that every mistake, that every sin, it's a race just like that. He saves you in it. In it, in it, in it. And let me tell you, someone's like, well, you know, but the world is still falling apart. Well, that's not gonna be that way forever either. Because here's the last truth about the end times. Jesus is coming back. We don't say this in church a lot. And we don't say this enough, but you need to know it. Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, changed the world, and he's coming again soon to change it again. Last time, it was to change us on the inside. The next time he comes, it's to change it on the outside. No more war, no more peace, no more disease, no more loneliness, no more saying goodbye to the people that we love. No more having to sit by the bedside of our fathers and our mothers as they waste away. Life. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. Talking about Jesus. His throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, and thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. How did he look? He looked like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He will come riding on clouds. Verse 14, and he was given authority and glory and sovereign power and all nations and all peoples and all religions of every language worshiped him. And his dominion is now an everlasting dominion. He's coming to undo the four other beasts. His dominion will last forever and it will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And everyone whose name is found written in the book of life will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust. I'm talking about your auntie, your uncle, that family member you had to bury last year. They will awake. Some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. How many people have ever heard that before? I'll, I'll imagine a lot. If you grew up in church, you probably heard that before. Jesus is coming back. And honestly, if you grew up in church, you're probably tired of it. Because you're like, that's what they've been saying for the last 2,000 years. When's he coming, Pastor JJ? Let me help you out. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. In order to understand this ending of the world, you got to understand the first time the world ended. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. When Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because he took him away. Something happened when Methuselah was born that made Enoch want to serve God. What was it? 
I'm going to show you something. Methuselah. Somebody say Methuselah. This is the last of our math class today. Methuselah died when he was 969 years old. If anybody ever asked you, Bible trivia, he was the oldest man to ever live. Nobody in the Bible lives longer than that, 969. He had a son named Lamech. Lamech was, Methuselah was 187 when Lamech was born. Lamech had a son named Noah. Remember Noah? Noah in the flood? That was when the world ended the first time. God hit the reset button. Noah was born when Lamech was 182 years old. And how old was Noah when the flood came? The Bible says that Noah was 600 years old when the flood came, the end of the world. Now, when you take those years, you get the age of Methuselah when the flood came, when the world ended. 187 plus 182 plus 600 is 969. Let me connect it for you. When Methuselah died, the flood came. Now, what does Methuselah's name mean in English? When he dies, it will come. Now, why would the oldest man alive be connected to the end of the world? I imagine two conversations happening. One is Noah. The Bible says that Noah preached for hundreds of years to people that the world was coming to an end and nobody believed him. I thought I was a bad preacher. Can you imagine preaching for hundreds of years and not one person giving their life to Jesus? That was Noah. The world's coming to an end. Everybody's like, that's what you said 300 years ago. <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. It's probably not going to happen. That's the conversation happening in heaven. Now catch this. Here's the, on earth, here's the conversation happening in heaven. God, Methuselah, he's mad old, God. <laughs> he's like 800 right now. Listen, I know you love him, but let's just take him. 800, he could barely walk. We'll make it real peaceful, Lord. We'll take him in his sleep. He'll just go to sleep. You'll have a, you'll a good sandwich. We'll take him right after the sandwich, Lord. Just 800. And God's like, nah, not yet. 900. God, Methuselah's 900. We got to take him now. We got to take him now. God's like, nah. God, why not? He's already the oldest person who ever lived. Because when I take him, it's over. And there are still people down there. I got to give him one more day. I got to give him one more chance. I got it, because once I take him, it's over. So I'm gonna let him live extra long because I want as much time as possible to give people to make a decision. Are you ready? God's not waiting to come back. He's waiting for you to come back to him. He's waiting for you to come back to him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Somebody in this room today, you've been waiting but you haven't been waiting. God's been waiting. You've been playing church for a long time. Your relationship with Jesus is, is kind of there. It's kind of not. The reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet, I firmly believe this, is because he needed one more Sunday. And maybe next Sunday will be one more Sunday. And maybe one Sunday after that will be one more Sunday. All I know is he's giving you time to make a decision for him today. Don't spur his patience. Don't spur his mercy. Give your life to him today. If that's you all over this building, you're ready to come back home to Jesus. When I say three, I want you to make your right hand high to the sky. Jesus, I need you in my life all over this building. On three, one, two, three. Right now, shoot your right hand high. Come on, you've been waiting long enough. Keep your hand high. Keep your hand high. Come on, this is normally the point of the service where I would say put it down, but I'm still going to wait. I'm going to wait for a couple more hands. I'm going to give them time. The ones who've been fighting it, the ones who've been wrestling with it, I'm going to give you a little more time. Raise your hand. There you go. Raise that hand. Come on, if you've been waiting, there you go. That was it. A little more time. Just a little more time. If you need it, God's been waiting for you to raise that hand, to give it. There it is, right there, for Jesus to come inside your life and change you from the inside out. Every hand raised, you can put it down. Whether you raise your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. Father God, no more waiting.
I give you my life. Forgive me from my past. Take control of my future. Jesus, be my Lord and be my Savior. Today, you don't have to wait any longer. I'm coming home, Jesus. Amen. Give it up for all those. One last verse. One last verse. You can stand. We're going to worship. Nobody leaving. One last verse. Daniel 12, 13. As for you, these are Christians, those who already believe in God. Put it on the screen. As for you, go your way. Put it on the screen. Daniel 12, 13. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. Then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. For anybody going through a trial, let me encourage you. You won't go through this forever. You will go through this until forever. When God restores it all and gives you hope and gives you that peace and gives you that life. Come on, let's We hope you've enjoyed this message and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.